in Jesus' name. Amen? Glad you be seated. Today on, on Easter, I have been praying and just really seeking a lot of God's direction. And we're going to look at John chapter 11. If you'll turn there, turn your devices on so that you can um, follow along. Coming to Easter is such an important part of who we are in Christ. If you're new in the faith, the concept of resurrection is very critical. It's probably the uh, most important biblical principle and theology that we need to understand. Because when you think about it, without the resurrection, what do we have? A lot of us already know we don't have really anything. What we have is perhaps an organization that, I mean, certainly we do good things, but an organization no different than a lot of other service organizations. I think of organizations that help people like the Elks or the, uh, the Shriners or uh, there's a number of other, the Rotary Club. I mean, there's a lot of number of things out there that try to provide service and help to people. And, and that's a good thing. But what we have is something much more. Because we have this personal relationship with Jesus. And we have the hope of what can take place tomorrow. Because of the resurrection, and you have to realize, Jesus died for us. He conquered death and hell and rose for us. And then he ascended into heaven. So he, he lived on earth. He died. He rose. And he ascended. Now, that's important because now in heaven is our advocate. Jesus is the one who intercedes for us because for every one of us, a day comes when we will face that moment of will we gain entrance into heaven. And because we have Jesus, you're good to go. We just celebrated Passover on Friday and had an amazing time together. And we were reminded that how was it that the death angel passed over the houses of those that would be taken because of the blood of the Lamb? And so our understanding of resurrection is what brings peace. This is something that you and I need to understand is truth and not a myth, not a nice idea, not a, a fiction of some sort, but a fact of life. Hebrews tells us that in this resurrection, it says, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, Jesus also came, became flesh and blood, being born in human form. We call that the fancy term incarnate. So the idea is we know that God so loved us that he took on human form so we might understand the message. He lived so that we would get it, so we could observe a baby, a, a child, a, an adult, going through that, that span of 30-plus years and have a, a, a tool and a sort of that word picture of what it all means. And because of that, being flesh and blood and being born in human form, as for only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Hebrews tells us only in this way could he deliver those who have lived all their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. That's a big fear. I've talked to and have been at the side of many 
even believers who come to that time when all of a sudden you, you hear that report and someone says, it's time. And you know, what an amazing blessing to know with certainty and confidence that you have a home you're going to. And, you know, the, the process of dying is sometimes difficult. But still behind you, in the back of your running, if you will, the program, because you've lived your life understanding, getting ready for that day, you know that when finally that message comes, you're at peace. Because you know where you're going. It's just a transition. But for some who don't have this, and I've been there, this is a scary moment. It's frightening. And so much of life is frightening when you don't have a clarity of the resurrection of Jesus, when you don't understand these foundational truths. Because so much of our life can be turned upside down so quickly through events and circumstances. So our understanding of this is really critical. It was interesting that when you read the New Testament, there were three people in addition to Jesus who, if you will, were resurrected. Three individuals experienced life after death. And I love those stories. They're, they're so interesting. You have, uh, you remember Jairus' daughter, you know, a young, a young girl had died, probably dead for over a day, and a miracle happened. She came back to life. And then you might remember the widow's only son, and an amazing thing happened. He was dead, but then was alive. And again, within about a day, about 20, within a 24-hour period. And then there's Lazarus of Bethany. Now I say that because there's a couple Lazarus, but the Lazarus of Bethany. And he was dead for four days. He was really dead. <laughs> and a miracle happened that we're going to look at. This is one of, for me, a favorite event, a historical event in the life of the church that took place when all of a sudden this miracle happened and Lazarus came out of the tomb and these amazing things happened. Now, I want you to understand, this is a historical event. This is something that we know and we have evidence of, the narratives that retell the story, and we have that. And we're going to look at a, some of the verses. Now, you need to encourage you, open your Bibles up or turn your device on, I have mine, and follow along, because we're not going to look at every, not all the passages. Some of them will be up on the uh, PowerPoint. So we're going to start the first couple of verses, kind of sets the stage. It says, a man named Lazarus was sick. Now, was sick, you got to know, this was really sick. He was obviously in danger of dying because we know he would die. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. And this was, this was the Mary who poured the expensive perfume, perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Remember that? I mean, that was such a powerful moment. That, and there's something, this is, this, is, this is the one who took a year's worth of salary I mean, if you think about it, that perfume was worth a year's worth of income and poured it on the feet of Jesus. So I want you to see, I mean, this is, she was, she was really close to the Lord and he was very important. Uh, and of course, this is her brother, Lazarus was sick. Now, what I love about this is what we begin to see is the fact that Jesus had family. Now, we know he had family, obviously, uh, in, in Bethlehem and in Nazareth. But we also know that he had other individuals that he considered family. Jesus was, you know, moving around doing a lot of work and ministry. There were certain homes that he would go to, and there in those homes he would find peace and rest. 
I've often thought about that. I, I thought, that was kind of, can you imagine being Mary, Martha, and Lazarus? And every now and then, Jesus comes knocking on the door, you know, and he says, hey, how's it going? Come hang out with you for a couple weeks. And they said, come on in. I mean, they were ready for him. I mean, they were so excited to have him. I've often thought, if Jesus came knocking on your door, would you be excited? Or would you say, wait a second, the house is not ready. <laughs> you should have called. It is a mess inside this house. And you say, could you come back in an hour or two? I need to clean up for you, Jesus. Can I tell you, you, you don't want to ever turn Jesus away. <laughs> but the thought occurred to me, I wonder how many of us have a home that doesn't feel ready for Jesus. And that perhaps we're not familiar enough with him and comfortable enough that he could come in. You know, you know how it is that sometimes there are people in our life that can just walk in and you don't have to clean up? You know, it's like our kids or family or saving some friends. I have some friends that I know. They could walk into our house anytime and it would be turned upside down and they would still love us. Can you say amen to that? Amen. And I hope that we would feel that relationship with Jesus. Because I'm convinced some of us have formalized our relationship to such an extent that I'm not sure, although Jesus would be comfortable at any point, I'm not sure we're comfortable at any point. And God wants us to feel at peace with this. Now, we see that uh, in verse 3, the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, uh, the one you love is very sick. And, but when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. So he already knew it was happening. No, it is for the glory of God. I, the Son of God, will receive glory from this. Although Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days and did not go to them. Finally, after two days, he said to his disciples, let's go to Judea. Now, I don't know about you, but I've thought about why did he wait two days? I mean, if someone got me a message and, you know, if my best friend sent me a message, I'm dying, and was only 20 miles away, I'd be on my way. And I imagine you might be as well. But you got to realize I could jump in my car and travel 20, min uh, 20 miles probably in 30 minutes because I would, of course, obey the speed limit. Can you say me of that? <laughs> and so we could get there. But you got to realize at this time, 20 miles was a big deal. It would have taken all day. So here's what happened. The message went out because Lazarus was dying. The message went out, took an entire day, because even if you're in good shape walking 20 miles, it's going to take you a day. And then it would have taken another day to get back. By that time, there was no doubt Lazarus was dead and would have been dead for a couple days. And so really at that point when the message was received, Jesus knew, because at the time no one was certain, but Jesus knew he had already passed away. So he wasn't like lingering it wasn't like he was waiting for Lazarus to die. Lazarus was already dead. And so he continued what he was doing for two more days. And, and it was important that you and I understand that Jesus is always on time. I mean, there's a lot of misunderstandings that come in this kind of event. I've heard people discuss this and say, I mean, didn't he care and why didn't he move quicker? But realizing that death had already happened, Jesus was going to be on time because Jesus was going to do something different and unexpected. I think that's what gets us into trouble. 
is that the Lord will do things that are out of the norm or unexpected to the way we think something might happen. God said, I'm going to do something for, for the glory of God, and it's not going to be according to your timing. Part of, for us, who are, you know, learning to mature and grow in the Lord, is that we're able to say, God, your timing, not mine. You know, when you're new in the Lord, that's a bit of a struggle. You know, when you first start out, sometimes it's very frustrating, and it, it's like, God, where were you? And we're going to see in a moment the frustration of Mary and Martha, and, and they're learning and growing. And for you and I to, to come to a place of God's peace that says, God, I really do trust you, and your timing is perfect. And so we see that he lingers, but finally two days later he says, disciples, okay, let's go to Judea, and off they go. Now it says, as he arrived, look at verse 14 through 22, I'm just going to read parts of it. It says, then he told them plainly, uh, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there, because this will give you another opportunity to believe in me. That's an important statement. Come, let's go see him. Now, when Martha got the word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed at, the, at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd just been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know God will give you whatever you ask. When you and I get into a place of great frustration and disappointment and expectations aren't being met, we end up into the world of shoulds and oughts. The world of shoulds and oughts is a very dangerous world because with it comes a lot of misunderstandings, misinterpretation, and disappointment. You think about it, when you hear yourself say the words, you should do this, or you ought to have done that, what does that feel like? What do you think about? When you think about the world of shoulds and oughts, you become kind of demanding, authoritative, maybe sort of sounding like a parent, you should have done this, or, or a teacher, you ought to have done it this way. And, and there's a sense here of control going on. The minute you start hearing yourself speak the words, and this happens, you know, you should have or ought to have, you've got to be, start being aware of those misinterpretations, those expectations that you might have had that maybe you didn't realize. Mary and Martha had expectations. Mary and Martha thought something different was going to happen. And so now you have this, this idea, and, and, and I want you to see something. Mary, Martha goes there, right? Now Mary's going to show up later, but I, this statement really stuck out to me. It, it really hit me. That, but Mary stayed at home. So Jesus shows up. He's there. Mary's not. You know, our shoulds and oughts and our disappointment sometimes gets us trapped trapped at home, and we miss God. I'm concerned about so many people who have felt the disappointment or the unmet expectation because they're thinking in their heart, God, you should have, you ought to have. And then God shows up, and where are we? We're at home. We're missing what could have happened. Now, even Mary, who got there, you know, you could see her impatience and frustration you know, Jesus told her, verse 23, she said, you know, your brother will rise again. Now look at Martha's response. Amazing. Martha said, well, everyone else rises on the resurrection day. 
Okay, there it is, misunderstanding. She was following the concept and the understanding that, so here's what she's kind of saying. Yes, Jesus, I know the theology. We are all going to rise someday in 100,000, 10,000 years. Whenever it is, we're all going to rise again. I get it. And I understand you're just trying to comfort me and give me that trite scripture so I can be okay. Now, is that what Jesus is doing? No, see, she's misunderstood. That's her thought right now. How often do we miss the words and the intent of our Lord because we have preconceived notions, because we have expectations, because we have least shoulds and oughts? So she's totally missing it. So Jesus wants to bring correction to her. And look at, you know, it says right there uh, in, in verse, uh, where we have verse 25 through 27, Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Now that's so important. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, like everyone else, will live again. Yes. Now you got to realize, he's blowing up Jewish theology right now. Because everyone's going, yeah, something's going to happen way, way, way in the future. Jesus just said, listen, you're going to die and you're going to take one last breath. The next breath you take will be in heaven. Not in some time way in the future, but the very next breath is in heaven. Here's why. I am the resurrection of life, said Jesus. And there's no other reason but the fact of who I am. And so he's, he's really blowing up some of these notions, and he says, we'll live again. They are given eternal life for believing me and will never perish. What an amazing statement. And then he asks the question that we're all being asked. So, do you believe this, Martha? Martha, I know you've been raised in one understanding and teaching, but you and I have hung out together. And I, got, I can almost hear the words that aren't being said. And I've ate at your table. I've slept in your extra bedroom. We have spent time together. We've taken walks together. I've talked this through with you. So Martha, do you really believe in who I am? Because if you've been listening and hearing me, you know that it's going to be okay. You may not know how it's going to be okay, but I'm asking you, as God asks us, trust me. Really trust me. You see, when Jesus said, do you believe, that's a critical word. The word believe, I put it down at the bottom, to believe means to trust, rely, have confidence, certainty, hope, strong conviction. It literally means to receive and to take in. When he asks Martha, do you believe, he's really saying to Martha, are you buying into this? Have you really bought it? Do you get what I'm saying? In other words, if I were to look at something that I might want and think, what a nice idea to have this. This would be a great tool or this would be a great something. Now, I don't have any, I don't have it yet until what happens? I pull out my money and I say, I'm going to buy into this. Michael, I'm going to buy into this. I want to buy this from you. I want that. I, I want to buy into this. And so here you go, man. I've got, here you go. There's uh, 15, uh, 30, there's $35,000. I buy into it. Can you see me know that? Now, I, 
I really own this thing. I bought into it. <laughs> when Jesus said to Martha, are you willing to lay cash down? Are you willing to own this? Are you willing to buy into it? See, I'm convinced some of us haven't put our money down yet. We haven't yet put our money where our mouth is. We have not yet bought in wholly to the life of Jesus. We say it. We even say the words, well, yeah, I believe. But, you know, there's a lot of things I believe in. doesn't mean I bought into it. There are some things I will say, yeah, I believe that. But it's kind of a way of saying, well, let me look into it a little bit more because I'm not sure I'm really going to receive it because I want to do some research. I want to look into this. And I see a lot of us still hanging on that place because what she's saying is, Martha, do you really trust me, rely on me? Do you believe in what I've done here? Do you believe, in fact, we've talked about this, I am the only begotten Son. You remember that statement from John 3.16? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish. Martha, we've talked about this. This, is what, this right now is for real. Do you believe this? Do you believe in the fact that there really is... Remember, we talked that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will receive you. John 14. Now, Martha, do you get that? Do you believe it? Do you believe that when we talked about the fact that there's a new body coming, that when you die and you breathe that next breath in heaven, you will all of a sudden realize you have a brand new body. You're in a new place, a real place called heaven. This is not a fantasy. This is not a fiction. This is real. Martha, have you bought into this? Church, have you bought into this? Yes. See, that's the statement of Easter that we just don't see a nice idea, but we have bought into this. Of course, look what she says. Well, yes, Lord, she told him. I've always believed that you're the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. And all of a sudden, Jesus is saying, you know, like the woman at the well, like uh, so many others before you, I am now expanding truth, deeper truth. So now you've known me in a lot of ways. Today I'm declaring, I am the resurrection. And I am the life. Everything's changing now. So verse 32, Mary finally shows up. She arrives a little late, saw Jesus. She fell down at his feet and said, Lord. And again, do you see the the disappointment? Lord, if you'd only been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus saw her weeping, saw the other people wailing with her. He was moved with indignation and was deeply troubled. I've often thought he was moved with indignation. He was deeply troubled. First of all, I think he was, he was, there was indignation because he was mad at the devil. Because death is something at that point that the, uh, that the devil, evil, is using to tear up people's lives. Death is a battle. The Word says this is a battle that we fight. And no one's at peace right Because if they were at peace... They would not be, see, if you go to a place, there's one thing, certainly we grieve at the loss of someone, but if someone who has passed away is a believer in Jesus, listen, we rejoice because we can celebrate because they're going to be in heaven. When I die, I mean, I certainly want a few of you to be sad, but 
I want you to rejoice because I'm now in an amazing place in heaven. And that is something I know for a certainty. And to be able to have that peace and to have that comfort. And that's kind of what's, and he's mad at the peace that's been stolen. But he's also at the same time, I love this, because at the same time he's deeply troubled. The Greek word there is kind of like, have you ever seen someone run hard and fast? And they like literally exhaust themselves. They get across the finish line and they're sitting here and they're like breathing, trying to catch your breath. And there's a sense of almost this, I mean, in this case, it's actually a Greek word that's imaging an animal, a horse, that has run super fast and hard and now can't catch its breath, and it's, it's a very powerful emotion. That's what it means when it says Jesus was deeply troubled. He wasn't just crying gently. He was, I mean, he loved Lazarus. This was his family. And I believe the mixture of, this is what happens when you see evil win, and someone you love being taken by evil, it kind of gets you. It should get to you. You and I should have indignation. We should be deeply moved when evil wins. It seems like it wins and takes a life, hurts a human being, does something terrible. Because I don't know about you, but I hear the stories and I, I see evil behind that, and I am troubled by those things. I, it brings me to prayer. It reminds me that we really are in a battle Every day. Now, we see that Jesus is so, so caring. He is so there for us. I love the fact because it says he goes and, and this is how we know Jesus cares about us. This is how we know this. He says, so where have you put him, he asked. And they told him, Lord, come and see. And, and Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Say that with me. Jesus wept. One more time. Jesus wept. Okay, you've just memorized an entire verse of Scripture. Good job. So now you know one. <laughs> I mean, you think about the powers that people were standing nearby and said, see how much he phileo, the word there, loved. He, this was family. This wasn't just, you know, he, he really connected with them. What? That's important to me. I got to tell you, I want to be connected to a Lord and Savior who would weep for me. And I want you to know Jesus would weep for every one of you. I want you to know when God sees what you're going through, he doesn't take a big step back and say, hey, that's your problem. I mean, you got to think about it. I mean, Jesus could have looked at Mary and Martha and said, what in the world is your problem? I mean, we have hung out together. You know the truth of this. Why are you crying? Suck it up and get over it. I mean, you know what's going to happen. I mean, don't you get it? Aren't you thankful that isn't Jesus? Because he, would, he wouldn't come at any one of us. That he would simply have compassion and caring and loving and would say, man, I'm right here with you, as we should be with each other. And, and look what it says, verse 37. Some said this man, well, he healed a blind man. Why couldn't he keep Lazarus from dying? I get the sarcasm there. And again, Jesus was deeply troubled. And this time he's troubled like, oy vey, you guys are not getting this. And they came to the grave. It was a cave, as was tradition, and a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told him. But Martha, 
the dead man said, said, Lord, by now the smell will be terrible because he's been dead for four days. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you will see God's glory if you believe? Isn't that just like most of us? Jesus speaks, roll away the stone, and we argue. No, no, don't raise anyone from the dead here. <laughs> God, I know you aren't getting this, but first response, it really stinks. I mean, if you've ever smelled death, it has a very distinctive smell. I've smelled death in animals and people, and, and it's very distinctive. It's very powerful. You don't ever forget that. And they're all going, we don't want to smell this. Don't you realize he's really dead? Now, you got to understand, Jesus just, he didn't like say, would you please? It wasn't like, would you consider? He said, roll the stone. This was a command from the rabbi, Jesus, who just, what did Martha just say? Yeah, you're the Messiah. And then she argues. So they finally, you know, rolled the stone aside. Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all the people standing there, so they will believe, buy in to the fact that you sent me. And then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. <laughs> and Lazarus came out. <laughs> yeah, and uh, bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told him, unwrap him, let him go you got to realize that when he came out, he was wearing 100 pounds of grave clothes. Back then, when, they, when someone died, they didn't have embalming. They didn't have all the things we do today. Back then, when someone died, they, they cleaned and washed the person, and then they wrapped them with all kinds of cloths and ointments and, and spices that by the time they got done, history suggests that it was almost 100 pounds of, of material that went to that. And so even if you are resurrected, I mean, you need some strength there. Can you imagine? I mean, this is not easy to get up and start moving with 100 pounds on you. So there's another miracle taking place. I think something else happened. I am absolutely convinced. I can't prove it, but I'm absolutely convinced that they rolled that stone away and what they smelled was flowers, fragrance, the, the incense of God. There wasn't the smell of death. The miracle had already happened. Jesus, the minute he said, roll away the stone, Lazarus was waking up. And death was not there. Right. Instead was the fragrance of life. And everyone is going, what's going on here? This is weird. And then there's Lazarus at the door at, of, of this cave. And then things are starting to fall off, and the poor guy, go help him. He's alive. And can you imagine the shock of that? Because they're all staring, going, we have never, ever seen anything like this. For us today, would you allow the application to come to your heart? Because I hear Jesus saying the same thing to you on this Easter Sunday. Some of us may feel like there's death. Some of us might even feel like there's a smell of death in our life. 
not that we're dying physically, but something's happening where we feel it emotionally or spiritually. We feel something inside of us, and it kind of feels like we're in a cave with the door shut, and we're bound up. Would you hear the words of Jesus? See, the first thing he says, do you believe this? Do you believe in what I can do? Do you trust in what I can do? Have you bought into this? So let me just declare this right now. Roll the stone. Let's get, the, let's get whatever's stopping you from getting to me. I want to remove that right now. Because that stone represents something that blocks us. And God, I believe, speaks a word to some of us. I will remove that block through a simple declaration. Roll the stone. And then you're going to hear God's voice that's going to say, okay, you've been in this cave long enough. Come out. And that's a, that's a spirit-filled moment. That is the power of God that says, it's time to stop being dead in this and come out. Come out of that depression. Come out of that discouragement. Come out of that unmet expectation. Come out of that grief or that loss that you feel. Come out of the disappointment. Come out. And then here's what's going to happen. You're going to get to the entrance, and then God's going to say, okay, everyone, loose them. <laughs> let's, let's get this stuff off them. Because that's what we do as the people of God. We help one another. Because when all of a sudden you have come out of a cave and you're alive, God has done a miraculous thing. Right. It's time to get the grave clothes off. And go get a new Easter suit. Can you say amen to that? God is here to free us. God is here to call us out and to do an amazing work in every one of our lives. Easter and God's resurrection isn't just for some hope way in the future, but for right now today. Right here, right now. Let's pray. Lord, as we, as we think about the, the words and the power and the, the imagery right now, I pray, Lord, your Holy Spirit will remind us of how much we need you, of how much every one of us, we may be in a place where, you know, it just it feels like we're in a cave and someone shut the door. It's kind of dark. It kind of stinks. God, we need to hear the words. Be loosed. Be loosed. Be loosed. Because I reign. Because I am the Lord your God bringing you out. This is something man can't do. This is something only the Lord does. As we sing this chorus, Lord, I need you. Think about how you might need the Lord. I'm going to give you an opportunity for some of us to respond just for prayer. And you know, maybe it's time to just come out of the cave. Maybe it's time to buy in. Maybe you're here and 
you haven't really bought into Jesus as your Savior. Lord, we need you. Jesus reigns? Do we believe that Jesus wept? Do we believe that Jesus really cares? That he really loves? I'm going to invite you in a moment to just respond very simply to what maybe the Lord's speaking to you. If you'll bow your heads. Whether you're new or perhaps you're here and you've not received the Lord. Perhaps hearing this, it's time to say, okay, I need to, I need to get out. You know, I just, I would imagine that there might be someone here and I sense from the Lord, you've, you've known the Lord. and Listen, you put yourself in a cave. You've been living there. And today, today you hear the voice of God calling you out. need to respond to God's call. It's so simple. Come out. Be loose. It's that simple. This has to start. If you know that this is something for you and this is that moment for you, I'm going to ask you to do something so simple and we're going to pray. Just raise your hand. By a raised hand, you just, you just acknowledge this. And you say, yes, I'm ready. Let's pray. And that's what we're going to do. Just leave your hand up, though. Leave it up. I, I want to see the hand. Just put your hand up. You know, that's good. There's some tears here. That's good. You know, just this is powerful. This is Jesus wept. We might weep. That's okay. That's how much God loves you. God loves you. 
there's a number of hands that have gone up. Would you help me out? Because I want to really pray for you. Would you just stand where you are, please? I'm not going to ask you to move at all, but just rise. Just come to your feet. If your hand's raised right now, just stand. Okay, that's all you got to do. We're all got our heads bowed. You know, I don't want you to be embarrassed, but I, I want to see, see you standing. Praise God. Just hear my voice. The stone rolls away. And the smell of death goes away. And the fragrance of life is there. The fragrance of life. And now we're going to pray and untie you. The death clothes come off. And new life comes on. Jesus, we thank you. Lord God, for each one who has stood, because Lord, it's so clear, you have called us out. We hear those words come out. I pray for those who have stood that they begin to smell the life, hear life, and see life. Where there's been death and darkness, now comes victory a first step out of the cave. And we all gather around them in our prayer right now. We surround them with prayer because, Lord, you reign. Lord, you won for us. You conquered death that we might come out. And you heal us. You heal us of the things that have been wounding and I pray that today starts something new. Help us, God. Help us, Lord. Would you just leave your heads bowed? I, I just want to hesitate.